Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. So I want to start by asking you a question. What have you been listening to lately? What have you been listening to lately? Let me guess. The political impeachments, bribery, and legal troubles of all of our politicians. The news of Ukraine and the war with Russia. No, that's not it. Taylor Swift and her relationship with Travis Kelsey. No. Migrant population struggles. We all know what Father Ethan's been listening to. Hey, Ethan, the 1980s called and they want their music back. (laughs) Some of us have been listening to our professors talking on and on about something that makes no sense that you maybe don't really care all that much about. Rupert Murdoch and his news empire uh, being passed on to his son. Maybe you've heard or been listening to your medical doctor who gives you some bad news. A supervisor who doesn't promote you. Maybe you are listening to that stack of unpaid bills on the desk all while your earnings are shrinking. Or maybe you're listening to your body, which is demanding its sexual appetites get filled. News about global warming and the rising oceans, which are affecting farmers' crops and ability to um, feed a country. Maybe you're listening to an angry spouse who yells about their unhappiness. Or maybe you have voices in your own head that you're listening to that say, you're not good enough. You're not beautiful. You're not smart enough. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Or perhaps a parent or child who doesn't say anything. What are the voices you've been listening to? That's the question. These are things that oftentimes make the news cycle. In fact, that list, quite a few of those things came from yesterday's news cycle. And so they, they play over and over in our minds as we go throughout our days. And generally speaking, it's not good news. The world is indeed crashing around us. So I wanted to start the sermon today with this list of things that we may be listening to because in this story from 1 Kings, it's personal. Sometimes we move past a passage like this and we think, yeah, you know what? They got what they deserved. You look at the last verse of the passage. Elijah takes all the prophets down the bottom of the hill and he has them slaughtered. They got what they deserved, right? They're not paying attention. But I don't think we should do that. We need to be a little more involved in this. And so as we work through the passage, I want you to pay attention to the words that are being used throughout the story. Remember, too, that a prophet's responsibility is to hear the words of the Lord and speak the words of the Lord. So they were, they were intimately involved in this idea of the words of God. The opening verses of 1 Kings 18, we see a playground war of words waged between a king and a prophet. Is there anybody here from third grade? Anybody in third grade? 
Yeah, I got one. There's one back there too. And over there. Do you, maybe you've had this experience in third grade. This is what happened to me when I was in third grade. I'd get into an argument with a friend of mine on the, uh, uh, you know, at, at the, out in the, the playground uh, or recess. And we'd start arguing about something, usually something unimportant. And then one friend would call the other friend a name. And the only good response to that was, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> you remember? I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? And you'd say that over and over, and finally it was sort of a stupid argument anyways, and <laughs> you'd just give up. But look what happens in the beginning of the passage. Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. There it is. I know you are, but what am I? Right? Oh, he makes it worse, though. It's not just you're the troubler of Israel, but you and your father's house. Oh, he cranks up the pressure now. It's almost like somebody said, your mama. <laughs> right? Your mama dresses you funny. I, I heard that when I was a kid. Right? Um, and so Elijah makes this really deeply personal for Ahab. It's on. It's on now. Okay, so Ahab basically hears this and says, oh, okay, you want to go? We're going to do this. I'll meet you at the flagpole after class. Only in this case, there's not a flagpole. It's Mount Carmel. Um, and everyone is going to meet and watch us in this battle. Who's invited to the showdown? Well, there's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, along with all of Israel. Everybody's there. They're going to watch this together. We're going to see who wins this war. Remember, these two foreign gods have been brought into Israel by outsiders to replace Yahweh. Baal is the god of agriculture, sexuality, fertility, animal husbandry, crops, and rain. This guy's got quite a resume. Asherah is the god of fertility and the mother of Baal. Uh, wooden poles with her image were erected all over the high places in Israel on the tops of mountains where everyone, no matter where you were in Israel, you could look on the top of a hill and, and you could see the Asherah pole there and you would be able to stop and worship her. And so Mount Carmel is one of the highest mountains along the coast of the Mediterranean in northern Israel. It's just south of where Ahab's wife Jezebel comes from and she brings those gods with her into this relationship with the king of Israel. And Elijah suggests, let's meet there and everyone can watch this battle go down. Ahab, the king, agrees. So it might seem that the Israelites are just following King Ahab here, but in reality, they're doing something much more sinister. The prophet Elijah knows that he's dealing with people who are trying to play the field spiritually. They're hedging their bets between Baal and Yahweh. He says in verse 21, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? This term limping in the Hebrew, pasa, means to hesitate or to fluctuate between possibilities or to become lame. And so Israel had become so uncertain of their relationship with Yahweh, the Lord, that they were engaging in Baal worship to ensure that they weren't missing out. 
they didn't fully trust the Lord. So Elijah says, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. In other words, make up your mind. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Elijah did not accuse the people of outright apostasy, but of hesitating between these two opinions, which suggests that they had been trying to worship both Baal and Yahweh to secure the maximum advantage of both. So Elijah is telling the people that their attempt to have the best of both worlds has actually crippled them. Isn't that the way it goes with idols, though? Someone we value or look up to tells us something that's contrary to our worldview, and uh, we're challenged with that. And so we experience a little bit of that worldview, and we think, yeah, you know what, it's not so bad. It's not that big of a deal, and we try it again and again and again. And slowly it creeps into our minds and our hearts, and what we think what we're doing isn't really hurting anyone and after all, I have the freedom and, and I have the spiritual strength to stop any time if things really go sideways. Let me give you a quick flying illustration. I'm, I'm reminded of my aviation days after I graduated from college. I spent a couple of years studying for and gaining all of my flight instructor ratings, including instrument instructor. I brought one of my instruments with me. I didn't pull this out of the airplane. This was a uh, an airplane that was no good anymore, and so they gave out instruments, and I thought this was pretty, pretty neat. It's a, uh, an airspeed indicator. It's not the instrument I'm talking about here, but one of the instruments in the airplane is called a VOR. It stands for Very High Frequency Omnidirectional Range. It's a mouthful. That's why they call, call it a VOR. Anyways, the VOR is a, a, a it, it sits on the ground, and it's an electronic tower that shoots out electronic radials in 360 degrees. And in the airplane, you tune your instrument device to that particular ground uh, VOR, <clears throat> and then you dial in the, the radial that you are supposed to fly on. It's like a, a highway in the sky. They, they have 3,000 of these all over the, the United States. In fact, this is the, the standard way for air, air, aviation airplanes today. To travel. So you dial in this frequency, you put in the, the, um, the degree that you want to fly along, and then you pay attention to your instrument, and it tells you whether you're on that radial or not. And the trick is, if you're over the top of the VOR, you know, 3,000, 5,000 feet, whatever, it's going to show you accurate. And as you start flying away, and if you get off of that radial just a little bit, because you're so close to it, it might not be that far, maybe just 20, 30, 40 feet, not a big deal. But as you fly away from that radial and you end up maybe two or 300 miles away, if you're off by a half a degree, you could be miles away from where you're supposed to be. Idols are a little bit like that. We think at first, not that big of a deal. I'm just going to just play around with this idea for a moment. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves way off course because we're much farther away than when we should be. So we think we are assured of something only until later on we find out otherwise. And so the conflicting navigation instruments, the competing voices cause all kinds of trouble for us. And then maybe ultimately we doubt 
God's direction for our lives and allow other things to take primary place. So Elijah calls for a, a definite commitment. He calls for full alliance to the covenant and the kingdom of the Lord. Uncertainty means lack of full allegiance to the Lord. Uncertainty means an openness to an alternative contrary to the Lord. And his question to them in the form of a verbal challenge does not draw a response. Are you going to go on limping between these two? What's their response? Nothing. They didn't answer him a word. They were silent because they now, uh, they no longer knew the answer that should have been obvious to them. Had they been watching the instruments and watching the needle carefully and making course corrections, they should have been listening to the VOR, or in this case, they should have been listening to the covenant. He says, you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord. So Elijah proceeds to an actual confrontation. He challenges the prophets of Baal by means of the sacrificial rite. He alone will face the prophets of Baal. Each is to have a bowl for sacrifice, to have an altar of wood. Neither is to have fire to light the sacrifice. And the two bulls will be prepared in the sacrificial system. And the God who shows up, he is the true God. 450 prophets square off against Elijah. They prepare their offering. They dance around the altar. They make a ruckus. They entreat Baal to show himself a God who produces fire from heaven. It really shouldn't have been that difficult of a thing for a God who is the God of rain and lightning. Baal is appealed to in various ways here, even by self-flagellation on the part of the prophets. Elijah ridicules them and drives them into the frenzy. Perhaps he's not paying attention to you because he's thinking. Or maybe he's sitting on the toilet. Perhaps he's not paying attention to you because, well, maybe he's on vacation. He just went away for a little while and he's not back, so he can't help you. Or I, I bet he just fell asleep. So you need to yell louder so he can hear you. Or maybe you just aren't sincere enough. So they take the bait. They want to show Baal how serious they are. And they pull out their knives and their swords and they cut themselves, quote unquote, cut themselves until blood gushes out upon them. Verse 28. This is pretty serious now. If, if you know anything about wounds or injuries, you know that blood does not gush out unless it's a very serious injury. And so they're trying to convince Baal that he needs to show up. Baal, who has all day to hear, <clears throat> gives no response. In fact, there's a triple negative at the end of verse 29. Take a look at that. There was no voice, no answer, and no response. There was simply nothing. Silence. Not a word. Nada. Ghosted. That was funny. <laughs> Elijah, on the other hand, he takes 12 stones. He repairs the ruined altar of the Lord. He digs a trench around it, has the entire altar, bowl, and wood soaked with water three times. In doing so, he makes sure that the cards are stacked against Yahweh. 
this offering was soaking wet and unlikely to burn. Now, since water would have been a rare commodity after three years of drought, the emptying of the jars over the sacrifice, I think, was a double act of faith. Elijah was trusting God for rain as well as fire. And his prayer further shows his faith. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you are Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Elijah calls upon the Lord, the God of the covenant with his people, Abraham and Isaac and Israel. He reminds them of their history with God. He invites the Lord to demonstrate his power and authority over heaven and earth, rain and fire and hearts. The answer is dramatic and complete. Yahweh did what Baal, supposedly Lord of the sky and weather, had failed to do. He produces lightning from the sky without clouds. Not only is the bowl burned with fire from heaven, but so is the water, so is the wood, so is the altar of rocks. The Lord demonstrates that he is Lord over everything. And so the people finally decide, as Elijah had urged them to do in verse 21, they decide between Baal and Yahweh. And their words are more than an acknowledgement of Yahweh as God with power in Israel. The Hebrew phrase literally, he is the God, proclaimed him as the only and the one true God. Okay, so a familiar story to us. What's the takeaway? What's the word that we can walk away with today that offers encouragement? What voices are you listening to this day? What gods or idols have you built in your heart? What are you trusting and paying most attention to? Perhaps the God of health, youthfulness, vitality, beauty, the God of money, pension, 401k, salary, stocks, or power, authority, administration, and leadership. Perhaps it's the God of grades, a PR, a winning season, a championship, that perfect relationship, or that hit or shot or sexual liaison that feels good. Maybe it's being valued or included, important, feeling relevant and appreciated. What voices are you listening to today? And what happens when all of that comes crashing down? Remember what Elijah says to Ahab in verse 18. You have abandoned the commandments of God. What are those commandments? In Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have a list of the the Ten Commandments, the, the moral code. Israel has broken the first two. The most important commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. These commandments are embedded in the covenantal code of relationship between God and his people. They're intended 
not to prevent somebody from doing something, but to form and guide the people so that they would live differently, differently than all the other people that surround them. The covenant is the formal agreement that forms the relationship between God and his people. And those commandments have been broken and disregarded. They've put other gods in front of Yahweh. They've worshipped other things. They've listened to the wrong voices. And as a result, they've been led astray and no longer live in peace with God. Let me interject a comment about idols. It's really not that difficult to be drawn in by them. It happens, as I've mentioned already, slowly and subtly. And oftentimes we don't really even know what's happening, mostly because none of us walk around with little idols in our pocket, you know, and think, okay, wait a second, I need to talk to this guy. And you pull it out and you, you have a conversation. That's, that's silly, right? We don't carve those kinds of things. We don't do that. But what does happen is that idols sneak into our minds and our hearts unknowingly. A fun um, experience, perhaps, like the win at the whiteout game last night. That was awesome. A momentary tryst, or anything really from the previous list, wealth, beauty, money, leadership, good grades, uh, sex, being recognized for your good qualities, whatever, any of those things. They're all excellent things, but when they become your primary focus, the main thing that your heart pays attention to in exchange for walking with God, you have an idol. They creep in unknowingly. One of the ways that you can determine if you have an idol is to ask this question. Can I go without that thing for a period of time? I was reminded this morning, uh, Ethan mentioned that Tim Keller was asked this question also. And he said, you can figure out whether you have an idol or not when you consider what you defend. If you defend something, you may have an idol that you're defending, right? It's not bad to pursue some of these things, but when they distract us from paying attention to what God wants in our lives, they're idols. They've taken higher authority in one's life. So what happens when Elijah shows up? What happens when he opens his mouth and speaks for God as a prophet and he starts talking about the idols that you have allowed into your hearts to hedge your bets against God? Elijah has shown up for us. His name is Jesus. God himself did show up. He made himself known. The incarnated, embodied word. The new covenant makes himself known to take away the sins of the world and make you new. Only this time, he doesn't kill you at the foot of Mount Carmel, but he dies in your place. He dies on your behalf to give you his life Remember the words of the Apostle John in his gospel? Right? I've been speaking about hearing the words of God, and the people have been distracted by other voices pointing them to, in a different direction, and they haven't kept their attention on the co- commandments or the covenant, God's word to them about how to live rightly with God and one another. They haven't paid attention to those things. It's easy to look back at history and blame these people. How could they be so foolish? but I don't think we're really that different than they are because the word of God has presented himself to us. John, the author of the gospel, writes, in the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. A little bit later on, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then a little bit later, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Friends, listen. The world is indeed crashing down around us and in us. What word are you listening to? Listen to the Lord and receive his grace and truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This crucified Jesus defeated death and sin and idolatry and was raised to new life on the third day. The most wonderful of all miracles, better than fire from heaven. Trust in him and in him alone and stop limping around. Amen. Free at last, they took your life. They could not take your